Did you know this podcast is powered by Acast? Acast is the home of podcasting for creators looking for freedom to grow their listeners and make money too. And creative brands looking for smart ways to advertise. Podcasters and advertisers in the know know Acast. It's time you did too. Visit Acast.com to find out more. Acast for the stories. In the toughest of battles, we can lose our will to fight. We can lose our ability to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We can lose sight of why we started the battle. But what if you could be the light for someone else's battle? No matter how tough or challenging you kept them keeping on. Could you be the golden glow that leads to the freedom of another? Could you be the light that frees the shackles of evil? What would it take for you to find the courage to guide those you have never met but who needed you? Would you have the courage to take on that task? It's the life of an Irishman which answers these questions for us. This is his story. In 1898, in the North Cork village of Kiskeem, a child was born. His name was Hugh O'Flaherty. Very soon after his arrival on earth, Hugh's parents, Margaret and James, packed up their belongings and went west. They moved their family over the great mountain ranges of Kerry and settled in Killarney. James had secured permanent employment as a steward in the town's golf course. Fortunately for James, part of his contract included a home on the golf course for his family to live in. Hugh studied in the local schools of Killarney and was noted by all his teachers to be a very bright boy. Hugh didn't mind school, it stimulated his mind, but his real passion was golf. Due to the access his father could get him to the course, Hugh practiced regularly. As he entered his late teens, Hugh was one of the top golfers in Killarney, playing with the scratch handicap. It was because of this ability that when the time came for Hugh to leave school and to decide on his future before he understood the world, he was offered a scholarship to a teacher training college. Hugh considered the offer to become a teacher very seriously. Having his fees covered by simply playing golf really appealed to him. But Hugh had another passion. Religion and the care for others. He 
he felt the calling to join the priesthood and in 1918, at the age of 20, he enrolled in Mungret College, a Jesuit college in Limerick. It was a training school for those who wished to be missionary priests. Hugh was one of the oldest in his course. Normally, boys would have been between the ages of 14 and 18. This was because it was seen as a great honour for families to have a son in the family in the priesthood. As a result, some sons were sent to train to become priests without any real understanding of what they were taking on or what they were giving up. Hugh, however, was different. He was one of the few who felt a great need to join. Because of his age, Hugh required the sponsorship of a bishop in order to let him train. Having the seal of a bishop meant he had understood his calling and he wasn't just joining as he couldn't find any other job. Hugh sent out as many letters as he could to as many bishops as he could track down. Eventually he got a letter back. One from an Irishman who was at the time the Bishop of Cape Town. Bishop Cornelius O'Reilly. Cornelius agreed to sponsoring Hugh's training on the condition that when he was to qualify, he would join his missions in South Africa. Although Hugh had never left the Munster region of Ireland, he agreed without hesitation. Hugh trained in Mungret for a few years and in 1922, a chance to further his education in Rome arose. Cornelius showed no resistance to Hugh's desire to go to Rome, understanding what an opportunity this was for a man of the cloth. Hugh spent three years in Rome furthering his understanding of God and the dogma of Catholicism. In 1925, Hugh was ordained a minister. It was a tremendously proud day for the Irishman. After his training and studies, Hugh's superiors approached him with an offer. Having seen his abilities as a student, they offered him a role in the Vatican to stay on as a researcher. Hugh was honoured to have been offered the chance to work for the Holy See in the Vatican, an ancient group founded by Peter and Paul. After just 24 months working in the Holy See, Hugh had proven to the superiors that they were right to keep him on. In that time, Hugh managed to achieve no fewer than three doctorate degrees. One for philosophy, 
one for divinity, one for canon law. As well as achieving all which can be achieved academically, Hugh was also achieving on the golf course. He became known across Rome as the golfing priest, such was the norm to see him on a course. It was while on the golf courses of Rome that Hugh was able to speak on a regular basis with senior members of the church and share his ideas. Each of them saw a number of things in Hugh. They saw he was a very likeable man with great character and wit. They saw he was a very capable speaker and a great communicator. Not just in the foreign language of English, but also in Latin, Italian and German. They also understood what a hard worker he was given his ability to complete three doctorate degrees in just two years. As a result of these traits, and his order being one focused on a mission, Hugh was asked to work as a diplomat for the Vatican. He was sent to work in Egypt, Haiti, the Dominican Republic and Czechoslovakia. After four years travelling the world, Hugh was recalled to Rome. He had been selected by the Pope for promotion. He was chosen by name to be appointed a Papal Chamberlain and he was given the title Monsignor. Now, back in Rome, Hugh watched on as evil rose. In Germany, the clouds of hate began to swarm under the guidance of Hitler and the princes of Beelzebub, Leviathan, Asmodeus and Sanilin. As Hugh watched, he remembered home. In his time in Ireland, he watched on as hate controlled his home. He watched when the brave men and women of 1916 declared war on the Empire. He watched when the Crown threw the sons of Roisin into quicklime graves. He watched the political class send tormented souls of World War I to do their bidding in the towns and villages of Ireland. He watched when the boys and girls of Erin stared the Empire in the eye and sent it home. He watched when brother turned on brother, sister on sister, and the blood of the Irish leaked into our rivers and streams at our own hands. Hugh would watch no more. As the Nazi party began to become more and more influential, and as they finally opened up to their true goals, Hugh rose. Hugh wasn't a man of violence, but he was a man of bravery and courage.
In his role as Monsignor, he was granted access to the prisoner of war camps in Italy. Whilst doing so, he was able to meet with the various captured and wounded soldiers. He was also granted access to the refugee camps of the Jews who fled persecution. He was also granted passage into the camps where the Nazis were holding the Jewish Italians. With unique access to each of these groups, Hugh quickly understood why he was called to the faith. He was one of the few people in the world who could move between the camps without issue. Hugh began contacting diplomats, priests and other officials who he trusted. He explained to each of them the unique position he was in and requested that they answer his call. Hugh also began to contact people without power who he could trust. Farmers, bakers, carpenters, butchers and grain storekeepers. Hugh created a network of well-trusted people who understood within the horrors of World War II and the Holocaust that good could still shine through. As Germany and Italy began to crack down on prominent Italian Jews and aristocratic anti-fascists, Hugh was developing his network. By 1943, he had developed exit lines for the Jewish people of Rome. He had developed a network of young people who raced out when an Allied plane was hit in order to bring the pilot to safety. And he had a strong core group of workers who would help him sneak people out of various camps. Hugh raced across the Vatican, stealing priests and nuns' garments and distributed them amongst his network. Through his diplomatic connections, he gathered fake documents and passports. Hugh was ready to be the light in the dark and lead people to safety. Hugh began giving sermons in St. Peter's Square. Here, on a daily basis, the Gestapo watched on as a nobody priest performed Mass for those who gathered. Within the large crowds, Hugh's team went to work, finding local Jews and handing them packages. The packages had disguises and documents in them. Each evening, a group of Jewish people, dressed as nuns and priests, returned to the square where Hugh met them as though they were colleagues. They all then walked together past the Nazi soldiers. They all walked to safety. Once in the clear, Hugh returned to the square to start the process over again.
pilots who were shot down and then rescued by Hughes' team were smuggled into barrels, placed on trucks and shipped back across the borders to Britain. Those in the prisoner of war camps were smuggled out and kept in apartments across the city until the search for them was over. They were all then dressed as coal workers and drove themselves out of the city. The Gestapo soon became wise to Hugh's plan and he became a wanted man. Not afraid of the fight, Hugh continued to save who he could whilst in disguise himself. Often dressing as a nun or coal worker himself to avoid detection. When word reached Herbert Kapler, the head of the SS Sicherheitsdienst and Gestapo in Rome, that Hugh was saving their victims and was difficult to locate, he took it personally. He ordered that a white line be painted outside St. Peter's Square. He announced that should the priest step over the line, he would be killed instantly. Pietro Cook, head of the Banda Cook, a special task force charged with hunting down partisans and rounding up deportees for the Germans, openly declared his desire to capture and torture Hugh and all his apostles. Hugh, being a man of faith, not only helped the Jews to escape, but he organised Jewish religious services for each of those who awaited saving. In June 1944, Hugh watched the Nazis run as the Allies roared into Rome. As the world praised the deserving work of the brave men of war, there were others whose reason for still being alive was an Irish priest. In all his time helping, Hugh's network saved a total of 6,425 people from the hands of the Nazis. They were now free to return to the world again, to their homes, to their families. As the remaining Germans were taken as prisoners of war, Hugh demanded and ensured that they were treated properly. He made it his job to explain that a large portion of the German army were just ordinary scared boys, sent to war without desire or choice, most without cause. After the war, those who Hugh saved told his story. He was given a CBE for his service to the Allied forces in Italy. He was awarded the Medal of Freedom by the United States. Canada and Australia honoured him also. After the war, the Gestapo colonel who tried to capture and kill O'Flaherty, Herbert Kapler, was convicted of war crimes and sentenced to life in prison. O'Flaherty visited him many times in prison and Kapler converted to Catholicism.
Hugh was Kepler's only visitor in his time in prison and he was the man who baptised Kepler into Catholicism. In 1954, Hugh was promoted to domestic prelate. He was the first Irishman named notary of the Holy Office. In 1960, Hugh suffered a major stroke during Mass and failed to fully recover. He returned to Ireland to be cared for by his sister in Carsaivine in Kerry. He lived here for three years until such time as his soul was recalled. He passed away peacefully in his sister's home in 1963, aged 65. In his hometown of Killarney, Ireland, a group of the priest's followers formed the Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty Memorial Society. In 2013, the group erected a life-size bronze statue in his honour, emblazoned with his personal motto, God has no country. The Society's chairman, Jerry O'Grady, stated, Monsignor O'Flaherty was an Irish Republican, but when he saw how the Nazis were treating the Jews, he knew which side he had to be on. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan Isanam Dum, Gurav Mahakut, Slonanish. ACAST recommends. Podcasts we love. I'm Sam Bungie, one of the hosts of West Cork, a story about a community on the far south coast of Ireland that became a kind of paradise for people looking for a fresh start. And nobody knew their past. You could be who you wanted to be rather than who you really were. Then one newcomer was murdered and another was suspected of doing it. I see him in the market and really he's always trying to be normal and trying to get people to like him. But we all know, don't we? Listen to West Cork now on Acast. Acast powers the world's best podcasts, including the Irish History Podcast, The Two Johnnies, and the one you're listening to right now.